0: you want to overcome overwhelm for once and for all, this is the place for you. Hello, Mama Docs. Welcome back. So glad you're here today. You are going to be in for a treat because I have a wonderful guest that I'm speaking with today. I will let her introduce herself. Welcome, Dr. Kathy Zhang.
1: Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, So for those who don't know me, my name is Kathy Zhang. I am a hospice and palliative care physician. I live in New York, and I also host a podcast called The Purpose Filter, where I share kind of the lessons that I've learned caring for the dying and help people apply those lessons to their life now rather than later when, you know, it might be too late. So you and I met actually at a a conference recently where you spoke and I was just so blown away by you and your authenticity, your story. And so I just, you know, I was like, I have to connect with her and, you know, we have to talk.
0: So I'm so glad that we connected. I believe you stood up right away after I spoke and said, Hey, This resonates with me. Um, For those who weren't at the conference, number one, next year, go to the ACE conference. Mm -hmm. Um, This year is in San Antonio. It's the Authenticity, Courage, and Empowerment Conference for Physician Women. And I spoke about needing a better solution for burnout. And I shared my sister Gretchen's story. And I think it did just resonate in a different way with everybody in the room. And I think it made people really realize that yes we too are human and we are vulnerable this is something that my listeners have heard me say again and again it's really awesome that we're human but we need to recognize it and as physicians we often think we're above that mm-hmm. yeah so share with me what you'd like to share um about your story and how you got into the work that you're currently doing
1: mm. so yeah we were just talking about this before um so i was a hospitalist for four years um and- and coming out of residency, and I really liked and enjoyed hospital medicine. But as a young, fresh female attending, right, you just feel this need to perform. To you know, you have to be good and smart, and take really great care of your patients, and balance everything, et cetera, et cetera. And there were a couple times that when I was a hospitalist, that I was like, I would go in with a fever, you know. I was, I was like a hundred, my, you know, my thought was always, and I prided myself on this. Now, knowing that that was not a good thing, I'd be like, I'm going to go to work unless I can't stand.
0: That's pretty, pretty bad.
1: Right. That is, that is the bar. Right. And looking back on it now, like how messed up was that for me to be like, but
0: that's our know. culture. Right. This is dangerous. I mean, it's embarrassing to say, like there were times where I was rounding that I had to like check where the bathroom was because I had like a gastrointestinal thing and it was like throwing up. Like it's embarrassing. And like, how horrible is that? That I was seeing patients mm-hmm. while sick. Yeah, yeah. And it's no one else was available. And you know, I didn't want to bother someone. And so I feel like there's this like badge of honor. And if there's one silver lining that came out of the pandemic, it's that at least if you have a fever, you better just at least stay home till you get a test result.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: So you were really, really driven and going to work, you mentioned with a fever and what else was going on?
1: So at one point, actually, I'd come back from a vacation and I had a terrible gastrointestinal illness, like vomiting, diarrhea, like straight for just about 24 hours. And I was supposed to be working, I think I'd taken one, maybe two days off, two days was a stretch for me, like, you know, as a hospitalist, you like, it's your patients, there's really no one else to cover, um, unless you call in jeopardy or something like that. And I should have taken honestly, like three to four or maybe more days off. But I was like, I've got to go back to work. They're like, are you coming back? And so I went back to work and I was so pale, I so dizzy, so hypotensive. Like I actually had a nurse friend from the, the floor come and put an IV in me and wow. give me, like she gave me probably about two liters of LR. And my she kept, she stuck me five times because she was like, This never happens to me. The Mickey nurses come to me when they have a problem. She's like, You're you're super dehydrated. And I just remember thinking at one point, I was like, "I just need to get through this day without pooping my pants."
0: <laughs> like, yeah. Why do we do this to oh, ourselves? It was
1: so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. And
0: You're so sick. You're at work getting IV fluids to keep going. Yeah. And we're not the only ones.
1: A lot There's of
0: people driven people that think that that's okay. okay.
1: Right, and it's not like and that. We, we just, can't
0: we can't take a break. We can't be sick. I used to feel sick to my stomach if my kids would start getting sick because I'm like, I can't skip work tomorrow because I've got, you know, 24 patients on my schedule. Can't do that. I've subsequently learned like, you know what? People will survive, but it's so ingrained in us, our work ethic, showing up and taking care of patients. And that's great. But like, really? Mm-hmm. We're, we're human too. And we can take time off before sick.
1: We really should. And we, we have to, right? And so um, around then, I was like, you know what? I, I was missing something from hospital medicine. I just felt like I wanted more. And so I had been thinking about it a little bit. So I went back to pursue a palliative care fellowship. So I did my training and um, I've been doing that for three years. So I started my job as a pall care attending like uh, August of 2019. So not even a full year into my job, the pandemic hit. So March, 2020, we're in New York city, like, you know, we're, we're at, um, an underserved, like, you know, city hospital. And basically I, I really, really struggled. And I, and I said this when you spoke at your, uh, at the conference, like I'm one of the most well-adjusted people that I know. And I ended up having panic attacks. I um, was crying like all the time. I, you know, our, our census went from like the twenties to 89 in like a very, very short amount of time in like a week or maybe more or less. And it, it was just, it was wild. And when you're in it, like the adrenaline is going and that sort of thing, and you don't realize what's happening, but You know, we had, there was no visitation. We had to tell people that you couldn't come to visit your loved ones and that they're dying of this virus that we don't know a lot about. And it was just a lot of grief, a lot of trauma, a lot of emotions. And it wasn't until the summer or really later when things quieted down a little bit that I was finally, when it finally really hit me, right? Like I couldn't really function. I, and I said this, I was honest, like, I was having thoughts, very, very dark thoughts, where at one point I was like, you know what, I'm really glad that I don't have any benzos or any kind of meds at home because I just wanted to like not wake up, right? And I, I think October or so, I finally got therapy. And I, I wanted to share this too, because this is one of those wild things, like I didn't want to get a therapist on my insurance because of all of this stuff that we're concerned about. Right. Um, with licensing and mental health, which is ridiculous. And I know you've, you've touched on this before too, but I, so I um, found a outside therapist and they had an expensive rate because you know, it's out of pocket. And I had chosen the mental, the health insurance that didn't have any mental health coverage, um, which is fine. But I actually asked them if I could get a discount because, and you know, I'm a physician. We make good money, but I just, for some, I just like didn't feel like I had value enough to spend that extra hundred dollars that I had asked for a discount for. You mm-hmm. know, on my own mental health, on my own well-being, on my own sanity. And looking back on it now, of course, like how I would. I would have paid double everything. Right. I would have paid like all the, I would have given them all the money that I had to be able to be where I am now rather than where I was before. But back then I didn't, I couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I actually, they paired me up with a trauma therapist and uh, we worked through that. So I got the therapy I needed. Then I got coaching. I like to say that therapy got me back to kind of what was normal for me. And then coaching got me to see what was possible.
0: So beautiful. Right. Therapy. I mean, people hear me talk about coaching all the time, but I'm also like a huge fan of therapy and medication and, you know, seeing physicians if that's what's needed. And you described it so beautifully. It got you back to your baseline. Mm -hmm. You were really suffering.
1: I was, I was. Um, And one of the things that I worked on with my therapist was personally, and I think Us as physicians in general, we're so good at intellectualizing at like these coping mechanisms, right? For me, I was like, I'm in palliative care. I should be able to deal with everything that's happening is the should, right? I signed up for this. I should be able to deal with death and dying at, you know, this kind of scale, or I shouldn't be feeling the way that I'm feeling crying all the time and sobbing in the shower and like not being able to get out of bed and dreading going to work. It was all this stuff where I was like, I should, I should, I should. And I bottled those emotions down. I kept it down and I didn't ask for help. I was, you know, some of my closest friends are actually not in medicine. And I kept thinking to myself, like, no one's going to understand. They're not going to, how could they help me? They can't understand. And so it was that kind of repeated thought patterns, those negative thoughts where I was like, no one knows what I'm going through. No one understands. I'm alone. All of this stuff that finally got to a boiling point where I think on one, one day, I think I cried like nine or 10 separate times. Like wow. I'm I'm a crier. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a
0: that's even a lot for you, huh? That's
1: that's a lot for me, you know. And um, so finally, I I called my friends and I was like, I need I need help. Like this is this is not. Thank you
0: for that. Thank you. That takes a big step of bravery and mm-hmm. courage. Mm-hmm. And this was in the fall then, when you finally reached out and found yeah, the trauma a therapist. Which, as an aside, and maybe we'll talk about this. Like to me, it's unconscionable that we are not provided mental health support in the work that we do in medicine, mm-hmm. particularly during the pandemic. And certainly some people I think are at higher risk than others. I mean, as a family doc, I saw, you know, some things go down and in the hospital and with some deliveries, there were some really tough things that would have been good to have a therapist. But if you're in the epicenter of a pandemic, if you're dealing with death and dying patients all the time, if you're in the emergency department or a mm-hmm. trauma surgeon, like, It just seems like it should be a routine part of taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, Martha Beck, I think one time um, had on um, Sunny Smith's program, like empowering women physicians, and, you know, she had talked about how of all the people that she's encountered and met, the people, the groups of people that have the most trauma and the most distress are military people and doctors and people in healthcare. And that was mind-blowing to me. I was like you're comparing me to like people who've been through wars and actual like, you know, battles. And we don't think about it like that, but because we're so used to it and everyone else around us is doing that, but it's it's traumatic in so many ways and the pandemic even magnified that to An extent that is kind of unimaginable. And so one of the things that I love about palliative care is just like, we think of self-care as a need, like it is a necessity for us to be able to care for ourselves in order to keep doing the work, because we're always surrounded by really heavy things, challenging cases, family dynamics, whatever it is. And I didn't. I never felt that when I was a hospitalist, or from what I when I speak to other people in other disciplines, they don't have that either. You know, it's
0: we were not taught that. No, tell me, where did you learn that? Was that a part of your training in palliative care?
1: Part of it, yeah, because you know, because the work is difficult, because we see so much emotions and the whole range, the whole gamut, right? Some people are super grateful, super lovely, super like thankful for our involvement in their or their family's care. And some people get really, really angry and lash out and start cursing or, you know, they just come from such traumatic backgrounds and you're just like, how do people have so much suffering? How do you deal with all of that? And so part of it, yes, is our training, And part of it is also, I think, the culture of the field, the, you know, because we see so much death, dying, people passing at a young age or getting sick at a young age, we are like, you know what, hey, like, we need to take care of ourselves, we need to be present, we need to have a life outside of medicine and enjoy the things that matter to us and our hobbies and creativity and all of these things that in traditional medicine, we're not taught. It's like, go to work. You know, your patients are more important than you, your patients, your patients, your patients. And that's great. We want to all take care of our patients, but why does it have to come at the expense of ourselves?
0: Oh my gosh. I just want to say like, amen. Hallelujah. Like we need to tell this to everybody. And one thing is, I feel that, you know, in medicine, right, there's delayed gratification that we had to do. Like I was just talking to one of my clients about it, like my 20s, I was just like studying all the time and in medical school, which is fine because I achieved the goal of being a physician. But I do think that we get caught up in like patient comes first and we got to do that and I'll rest and play later. Like, you know, many people live for the weekends or their vacations, or I talk to young folks who are already thinking about retirement. But they're like in their 30s. I'm like, oh boy, that's a ways away. And I think what you said so beautifully is that you see people who maybe pass at a younger age and realize it's not guaranteed that you're going to make it to retirement. And I see that with my losing my sister at such a young age that, boy, I always say, God willing, like I'm going to live to be like 97. But I don't know. And I just... Why aren't we enjoying our lives now? Sprinkling in some joy and fun. I mean, my my listeners have heard me talk about this. So how do you do that in real life? As a mm. physician, how do you prioritize self-care?
1: Mm, that's such a great question. And And, you know, I think a lot of times self-care gets talked about as like, take a yoga class or you know, take a nice bath or get your nails done, which is nice and great. But self-care is so much more than that. I think one of the things is setting healthy boundaries, right? Is yes. being like, Hey, like, let's say for say me, that for again. Instance- <laughs> I
0: just want people to hear that because I do think people get an idea that it has to be a spotty. And again, yeah. that's fine if you enjoy that, but I think that's actually the number one thing. So please say that again.
1: Set healthy boundaries. And so, you know, let's say for me, family meetings, right? We generally all say like, you know what? I'll, I'll come early for some meetings. I'll stay late for some meetings, but I cannot physically be there for every single family discussion, right? And there's going to be a part of me that's like, yeah, I want to be there, but physically I cannot. And nor mentally should I be there for every single discussion, and we, we think that like, we have to do everything ourselves, right? That the charting has to be done, everything, you know, I have to do everything and all the time and that sort of thing. And so setting healthy boundaries is one of the most important things, I think, for us in terms of self-care and being able to be like, you know what, I want to be able to sustain this work. We didn't go into medicine being like, I'm going to quit after five, 10 years because I'm burnt out. And some people, you know, do that and that's totally fine. But I know that there are a lot of us who still love patient care, but we just want to do it in a way that's sustainable for us. The other thing that really helps me is, like you said beautifully just before this, living in the present. And just like being able to use and spend our time wisely and intentionally and purposefully. Like why wait until your, I don't know, 50th wedding anniversary to take that huge trip that you've always wanted to do. Who knows if you're going to hit 50 years. Some people are like, I'm going to save the nice glassware for a rainy day. Like use the nice stuff. Now take care of yourself. Now tell the people that you love how much they mean to you now before it's too late. Like I, I, had seen this one video where someone was like, you know, if you live far away from your parents, like how often do you see them? Well, maybe once or twice a year. Okay, let's say your parents have 10 more years to live. How many more times are you going to see your parents? It's like 20 times, you know? And then you don't think about it like that because you think that they're always going to be there and you're always going to be able to visit them, but that's not the case. And so it's about really being purposeful with how we're living our daily lives how are we spending each day how are we where where's our headspace you know you talk about mindset a lot on your show like where are we spending time in our brains is it negative thoughts is it stress is it overwhelm or is it going to be something more empowering that's going to help propel us forward and help us live a life that really feels meaningful to us and to the people around us
0: It's so good. And I think so many people are searching for the state of like contentment and happiness and thinking it's in the distance. You know, I've talked about that before too the arrival fallacy. Yes. And again, I guess I remember having a conversation even with my mom last week because, you know, a couple weeks ago, my family had COVID. And in fact, I missed my son's high school graduation And I was really disappointed in it and I allowed that. But I have such perspective in my mind in losing my sister that, like, nothing else really compares to that. All the things that come up with my teens or with work, like, we can handle this, no problem. Because it's not a horrible tragedy, like losing my sister to suicide last year. And my mom had such a wise statement. She's like, that's so great that you're able to see that ability to, like, use that as a gift. She's like, I really hope other people can see it without the tragedy. I said, absolutely. And you have experience in seeing death and dying amongst all kinds of patients, including people who are young and are given a you know, tough diagnosis. And no one ever expects that that's gonna be us or that's gonna be in our realm. I certainly never did. Like, well, that doesn't happen to our family. And I just hope people listening can start to think how is it possible for me to incorporate a little bit of this? Can I start to believe it? Even if I don't get a horrible diagnosis, I mean, I hope Mm -hmm. my listeners don't get a horrible diagnosis or a horrible tragedy, but for those of us who've gone through it, it really does kind of lock you into like realizing like, wow, life is precious. Mm -hmm. I need to be more mindful. Any ideas? And again, I know it's tricky because I had heard this in the past too, like, be more mindful, be more present. And I was just a stress ball, you know, until mm-hmm. I figured out coaching. Any ideas of how we can share that with folks who maybe haven't gone through tragedy like I have and or the trauma that you see on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question because, you know, I think intellectually we hear these things and sometimes it goes in one ear. Yes. It, you know, it circles around in there and then it kind of, you know, you get distracted by other things. One of the biggest things is honestly to get help, to get the therapy, to get the coaching. And sometimes we are so locked into everything that's around us that it's hard for us to pull back. And so Honestly, if you feel like it's hard for you to do that, you might need to get some outside opinion to come in and be like, hey, let me help you. Let me try to sort things out for you. And I really hope that people can find ways to invest in themselves. It Maybe not necessarily like, even if you're like, I don't have the money. One, I would ask, is that totally true? Because I used to say I don't have the money for therapy. And what is your therapy. life
0: worth? I mean, to be right. honest, like seriously.
1: Yeah, you know, we invest
0: I, in our physical health. We invest maybe getting a haircut once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Other things.
1: Yeah, I at one point was like obsessed with luxury handbags, and I would spend, I would drop, you know, thousands of dollars on a handbag, and yet I was, I recoiled at the fact. Of paying like $300 an hour for a therapist, right? It, it's the just
0: value, but now you see the value. Yes. You're like, oh yes. my gosh, that was, that saved my life. Probably. It
1: did. It did. It really, it honest. I can definitely say that that saved my life and it's altered the course and the trajectory of my life. Without that, I would not be doing what I'm doing, talking to you even on this and on your podcast, like just. It would not be possible. So, I, I would say one is to really think about ways that you can invest in yourself, whether that is time, whether that is money, you know, just really trying to reconnect with who you are as a person, mind, body, spirit, like really taking the time to step away from the noise, the external distractions. And your mom is so spot on. We don't have to wait for tragedy to hit us, for trauma to hit us. You know, there are so many resources out there that are free that do not take, you know, any amount of monetary value at all. Podcasts like this, you know, blogs, there are videos and YouTube. There's so much out there, but you need to start and look and really just pick something and try to incorporate any one little fact, if there's one thing that you can take away, then try to apply it to your life. And it's those little degree shifts, right? It's just like one degree. uh, If you've read Atomic Habits or any of that stuff. Makes a
0: huge difference on that trajectory.
1: Yes, it totally does. It doesn't seem like it now, but over the course of months, years, you'll see that you're a totally different person than you were when you first started the journey. And that I think is just so powerful. We don't realize how incredible that can be for us and how life-changing it can be for
0: us. That's beautiful. And I think I love that remembering that it can just be one or two degrees at a time that over time is going to make such a big difference in your life. Because I think some people think, okay, I'm ready. And now it's got to be 180 degrees different. Like they get exhausted. But I'm going to challenge my listeners and just say, you know what? It starts with a decision. I am deciding today that I am worth it, that I am going to start valuing and taking care of myself, starting on this journey of self-care and living a little bit more deliberately. And like even just making that decision is going to start the snowball of, you know, maybe I get a book and read. Maybe I check out, you know, Kathy's podcast, all these things to help us along the journey but it starts with a decision because so often you're like, well, maybe another time, but you can just decide today. Like I just decided last week, hey, I'm doing an Olympic triathlon this summer. I made a decision. Amazing. My plan. Yeah, thank you. I've done one a few years back, but I decided that I was going to do it. And then it started the snowball of like, okay, here's my plan. Now I'm going to get out and run along with my biking. It starts with a decision, ladies. And dad, who's always listening to this podcast, Decide what it is you want. Decide today that you're going to live a little bit more deliberately, a little more mindfully, and then incremental steps will change the trajectory.
1: Yes. The decision part is so key. I love that you brought that up because I am one of the most indecisive people that I know. <laughs> I used to be. I used, yeah, I used to, be. to be. My
0: husband would joke, "Please do not become an ER physician because someone would die before you decide what to do." I mean, yeah. he was lovingly joking with me, but it was true.
1: Right. And I I once recorded an episode. Like literally, I was trying to choose a color of a rubber spatula. It oh. took me about. It took me thirty minutes to choose I've a been color. There. Who I've cares? Been there. Right. But it, yeah, well, what if it doesn't coordinate with the rest of my kitchen? Blah blah blah. Yes. And then you realize like this doesn't matter. But. My one of my coaches, he loves to say this, and I, I carry it with me. He says, Indecision is a decision, right? Bingo. And it's so Bingo. people it's think so that key. it's keeping
0: them safe, it's just keeping you stuck.
1: It is, it really is. And so, I love that you brought that up because it, it is action, it's not thought, it is action that changes our lives. And so, you can wish that your life was different all that you want. And, it, and honestly, I'll, I'll share this. I was on a, I just came back from Costa Rica and I was uh, on, you know, a horseback riding tour, et cetera. And at, at one point I kind of zoned out a little bit and it made, it hit me. And I knew this intellectually, it hit me. I was like, if I want things to be different, then I have to be different. And I knew this, I've, I've been in this self-care personal development world for a while and reading books, et cetera. And I, but it didn't hit me viscerally until then. And so That's why what you said is so key. You can't think your way to a different life. You have to take action. You have to do something. Pick one thing, pick something, and then act on it, decide, and then go from there and reevaluate.
0: Love it so good because i think some people especially we cerebral folks who really love to learn like it's really easy to fall into like oh this is really interesting and i'm gonna like learn about it and learn about it and learn about it and like it just spins in our head which is great it's a good start but you do need to just make the decision okay now i'm gonna take a step i'm deciding i am gonna do some things and we don't need to make it complex our brain's gonna be like oh my god we gotta do all the things how do i do it no you just decide i'm gonna start living a little more deliberately Little by little, it will happen. So good. What else do you want to share? You've got such a wealth of knowledge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so easy. to You're just like so easy to speak to. So, um, well, basically, because of the therapy, because of the coaching, I realized that I do have a voice and that I have things to share. And so that's why I started my podcast. Uh, It's called The Purpose Filter. And I share lessons that I've learned caring for the dying and the lessons that they've taught me so that we can apply them to our own lives now before it's too late, because people get a certain clarity about what's really important to them when they're facing their own mortality or the mortality of a loved one, you know, and we don't like to have to get to that point, but, you know, sometimes life throws us challenges and so i wanted to share that and i also wanted to share stories of people who have gone through challenges and have been to the other side who have come out the other side stronger because of it um and so it, i i love i love the podcast i've had such great responses from people saying that it's really helped them. Apparently my voice is very soothing. I had one listener like fall asleep and take a really great nap after.
0: Listening. Oh, you do have a very soothing, <laughs> beautiful voice. As you say that, it makes me remember that in talking to some of my patients over the years as a family doc, that, you know, no one wants to get the diagnosis, for example, of cancer, oh. but when they've gone through the treatment and done, some self-evaluation and probably working with wonderful folks like yourself, they've seen it. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch for people, but as a gift that they do become more deliberate in their lives because they realize, whoa, I am not going to live forever. It's sort of like mortality in your face Mm -hmm. and they live more, you know, richly or they take the trip that they're thinking about. And some of them ended up going into remission and all as well. And some people don't, but they still say, this has been the best two years of my life. Yeah. Which is such a gift. And again, I, I wish my sister was here. I certainly would give away all the learnings that I've had to just get her back. Mm-hmm. And yet I do see it as a gift from her directly to help me realize like life is precious, even more than I thought before. Mm-hmm. Even when we get together with my family, like the joys and the love are greater because we've had this experience of such, you know, the extreme, and to enjoy the moments. Because I always, I don't want to say joke about the fact. And when I used to work in clinic, like you know, I'll be here tomorrow unless God forbid I get hit by a bus. But like, it's right. sort of true. Like yeah. we don't know.
1: We really don't. We really, really don't. I mean, I I can tell you story after story after story of just, you know, accidents and people thinking that they were totally fine and they had this terribly aggressive cancer or whatever it is and so you're totally right we don't know and so why not enjoy the life that you have now find ways that you can be grateful for the the little things because life is just little things added up yeah. and when you get to the when you get to the point where if you're able to look back on your life like that's people don't think of, people think of the little moments. They think of the big moments, but they also think of the tender moments with loved ones and family and, you know, laughing until you cry and all of these things. So, you know, that so Being
0: mindful of that really mm-hmm. helps amplify it. I think I've been a big fan of gratitude over the years and got me through some really rough times years back when I was so burned out. At least I could like remember little things that, that did fuel me. How do you- teach that to your patients, I would say, like, or does it just come naturally for them because they're all of a sudden faced with the vulnerability of. That's a great question. So diagnosis,
1: you know, if you're, if you're in gratitude, if you're actively presently trying to be grateful for something, it's hard to think of anything else. Right. It's hard to it's kind of magic. Yeah, it really kind of is. If you focus on one thing and be like, I'm going to find something to be grateful for, then everything else seems a little bit easier. And for people who haven't done it, and I certainly was one of those people at the beginning, I was like, this is kind of like BS. I'm not going to do it. It's stupid. I don't have time for
0: that. Right.
1: Like I've got bills to pay, you know, like all this stuff. But then when you actually do it, you feel how precious you're, how gifted you have been, how blessed you are, whether you're religious or spiritual doesn't matter. There are a hundred, thousands and millions of different ways that our lives could have panned out. We could have not been born and yet we're here. And that is that is a miracle in itself. And the more that I do palliative care, the more that I realize that there is something much greater than us at play. Some people call it God, some people call it the universe, some people call it whatever karma it doesn't matter but there's some bigger force at play and we we're blessed to be alive and yeah. i just want us to be able to really like soak up everything that it has to offer the good and the bad i've interviewed so many people like you said that who've come out on the other side of challenges and they like really difficult ones right where like struggling with abusive parents or partners or addiction or all this stuff and they were like I wouldn't change that for the person that I am now. I had to go through that to become the version of me that exists now. And when we're in it, we don't realize that. When I was suicidal, you know, two years ago, I didn't realize that. But I had to go through that to be able to get to the point where I am now. And so if anyone's listening who's going through some really tough times right now, I hope that they'll realize that, you know, it will get better. It will change, but-
0: And reach out. It's okay that you're feeling this way. I've learned that suicidal thoughts and dark thoughts come much more often than I ever realized in having been doing this work over the last year. So many people have reached out to me. So if you're struggling that much, please tell somebody. Your brain's going to tell you that it's all your fault and, you know, you're not doing it right, but reach out and let somebody know and start to do the healing work, you know, maybe with a therapist or trauma therapist, whatever it is. um, We need to normalize that help seeking behavior and recognize that like our brains get sick, just like we sprain our ankles and we get GI upset. Like our brain too, sometimes just needs some additional love and support.
1: Totally. A hundred percent, a thousand percent. Please, please, please. One of the reasons why I came on here is just to normalize this, yes. right? I come from, like, I'm an immigrant. I come from immigrant Chinese family. Like, when I spoke to my dad about it, he was just like, only weak people do that, you know? Uh, and there's
0: a lot of stigma. And in there certain is. cultures, there's even more stigma. Now, I just want to say to my listeners that we meant to connect during May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. But I think this is even better that it's not in May, because I think that we should be talking about our mental health every month.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent.
0: What else should we know about you? So you mentioned your awesome podcast and I'll put a link in the show notes. Are you doing coaching as well as your patient care? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So I'm starting, I'm launching a coaching business. um, And basically it's going to be for female professionals who, you know, don't know really where to start. They feel like they want to get on this path to being a better person to you know kind of reigniting that fire and that passion that they once had and reconnecting with themselves and so that's coming soon Um, I'm still building and working on things and I'm on social media I'm at purpose filter on Instagram and podcast so
0: that's kind of where I am now so good. So we will definitely put links in the show notes. Everybody should check you out. I certainly am going to. I'm going to start following you on Instagram right now. Yeah. Um. Anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that you share with our listeners here today?
1: I would just like to say that you've got one physical life on earth that we know of, right? There's no- one precious life. One precious life. There's no dress rehearsal. There's no second- chances. Sometimes there are with near-death experiences and things like that, but as far as we know it, this is it. And so please, please, please soak up everything that you can, live the life that you really want, be the person that you truly are, not what society or other people expect of you. And if you're going through something, please get help, ask for support, find ways to find ways to be able to get to the other side, because I promise you it is so, so worth it. It's so worth it.
0: Yeah, I can see in having met you last month and talking to you now, I mean, you're thriving, is how I would describe it. I mean, I can just yeah. hear it in your voice and see it in your eyes that you're thriving. And it sounds like not too long ago, you were really struggling to survive. And so it is a wonderful gift that you share this with listeners so they can understand that it definitely is possible. And I love what you said about, you know, enjoying this one precious life. And I would just add to that, reiterate and just decide today you're going to do that because people think, oh, I'm going to wait till later. You know what, ladies, stop it. Mm -hmm. We don't know what later is going to be. We don't know what our life has in store. So start enjoying and taking time for you, caring for you today.
1: Yeah, a thousand, a thousand percent.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm so excited about your new adventure with coaching as well. That's definitely going to benefit folks. And we'll probably have to have another conversation another time. Yes, you should come back on my podcast and we'll do it. We'll do this again. Sounds good. And I can't wait to come visit you in New York. Yay. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Michelle. Are you ready to take control of your life and put these tools into action? I'm here to help. I offer free consultations for physician moms to see if my one-on-one coaching package is right for you. You can sign up for a free consult at www.mamadoclifecoach.com.